Okay, good morning everyone. I just wanted to say, you know, as we were singing that song, I think that's a great song to have stuck in your heart, you know, especially if, you, if you're lacking some joy in this life, you know, and, and especially in your Christian life, you know, that's, that's really a great song to, to just meditate a bit on how great God's faithfulness is towards us, you know, and um, yeah, that was just something I was reminded of. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. Now, we are starting to see the end of our multi-year journey <laughs> throughout <laughs> this epistle <laughs> of First Peter. You didn't know it was that long, did you? <laughs> but, but it is amazing, you know, as I was preparing for this, I, I thought about this again. Just, you know, the fact that it was a, or is a multi-year journey that we're starting to finish off, um, it just shows you how deep God's Word is, right? And I can't tell you how many things... I did not tell you of what I studied from <laughs> while I was studying for these lessons. It's just, it is so rich, you know, um, you, you can't reach the depths of the richness of the Word of God, which is, which is amazing. Now, we see in this last chapter um, of First Peter that Peter is giving some final instructions on how to live a victorious life um, in this world, a victorious Christian life, specifically in this world. Now, last time we looked at verses 1 to 4, we, we spoke about... Um, the exhortations that Peter gives to pastors and also what our reaction should be to that. We saw that familiar command in verse 2, you're in First Peter already, that Peter gives to pastors, which is, feed the flock of God which is among you. That's the primary duty, the primary function and responsibility of every single pastor. That's it, full stop. It's not to entertain the flock, Okay, that's not the duty. It's not to become the most well-known or popular pastor. That's not it. You won't find that in the Bible. It's not to make his sheepfold look more attractive to other sheep so that they would hopefully come to his fold you know, and fill, fill up the fold. That's not the duty of a pastor. All right? it, is, it is the simple duty to carefully tend to feeding the flock. That's it. All the other stuff can come there, but that's the primary thing. And then, of course, um, also, as Peter says there in verse 4, it is to be an example to the flock. Right. Now, we discussed all of this last time, so I won't go into detail about that again. Otherwise, I'll just reteach that, re that lesson. But in the context that we find ourselves today um, um, is actually this. Right? We can't ignore what we're about to read. Um, we can't re ignore the previous stuff from you know, what, what we're about to read. And after giving pastors this exhortation, uh, Peter turns his attention to the rest of the church. All right, so he's shifting his focus. And he, he gives some very important points on how we, as, well, call it non-pastors, can, can live effectively and victorious lives as Christian while we are still in this world. You know, there are, there are many questions about that. And as you, you'll see here, you know, the, the principles are actually quite basic. And even though they are basic, they may be more difficult to implement than you think. But, yeah, that all depends on you. But all of these principles that he gives us is as good and it is as fresh today as it was at the time when it was written the first time, which is millennia ago. All right. So he starts off by saying in verse 5, <clears throat> Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, 
uh, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Now, first thing I want you to notice is how he starts off this sentence. He says, likewise. All right? Now, saying likewise is the same thing as saying, well, in the same way as what I just explained, or similarly to this, you know. Now, so similar to what? Well, he just finished addressing pastors, and he he discussed with them what their attitude should be towards the ministry. All right? Now, in a similar way, we should have, well, he's going to tell us what the kind of attitude is that we should have. In verse 2, he tells uh, pastors to take oversight of the flock. He says there in verse 2, not, um, not by constraint, but willingly. You see that there? That's an attitude that they should have. They should do it willingly. Not for filthy lucre, he continues, but of a ready mind. He tells them, don't do it just for the paycheck. All right. You, you should be in this for the right reason. In verse 3, he says, neither as being lords over God's heritage. Don't boss people around, all right? That's what he's telling pastors. But instead, he says, to be examples to the flock. Be an example to the flock. Now, all of those things are part of what makes the correct attitude for a pastor, all right? Um, to have, well, to, to do his job correctly, all right? And, and to feed the flock in the right way, the way that God wants. And now Peter says, well, likewise, similar to that, in the same way that the pastor's attitude needs to be right, that the pastor should submit to the chief shepherd, all right, in that same way, um, we need to have the right attitude. Now, the things that he's about to mention, like I said, is nothing new, okay? You know these things already, I'm sure, or, or unless maybe you're a, you're a brand new Christian, but it doesn't make it any less important, all right? It, it doesn't matter where you are in your walk with Christ, you will always need to go back to the basics. Always. If you want to go forward, you will need to get the basics settled. Otherwise, you're not going to grow. So you can't neglect these things. So he says, likewise, ye younger, in verse 5, submit yourselves unto the elder. So the first thing he teaches us here is that we should be submissive. All right? We spoke about that last time a bit. But in this case, he specifically mentions submitting to the leadership that God has put in the church. All right. Now, the topic of submission has already come up a few times in this epistle. Uh, you might remember this, or maybe you know this epistle well. You will know this. But in, in chapter 2 and verse 13, uh, Peter says that we should submit ourselves to every ordinance of man, whether it's kings or governors, whatever it may be. So we should submit to every position of authority that's over us, right? Every civil authority. That's the police. That's the president. That's his ministers. That's local authorities. And on and on the list goes. Whether you like them or not. That's the difficult part, right? (laughs) It's easy to submit if I I like the guy, you know, and I, I, I agree with what he does. It's more difficult to do it when you don't like them. In chapter 2 and verse 18, he tells servants to, to be subject to their masters. Now, when we discussed this part, we explained, you know, we can apply this in our lives right now in the employee-employer relationship, or maybe you with your manager, you know, something like that. And we should submit, we should have this submissive attitude even in the workplace. In chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. There's that word again, likewise, right? So he was just finished explaining how we should submit to every ordinance of man. 
Then he explains how we should be submissive in the workplace. And then he says, okay, and wives, just like that, submit to your husbands. So even in marriage, there should be, should be submission. As long as we are not required by whatever authority is over us to do something sinful, we should submit. You don't need to submit if it goes contrary to the Word of God. And so Peter brings this same idea now into the church. And he says that we should submit to the elder. Now, who is the elder? <laughs> is it the oldest guy in the church? <laughs> no. <laughs> We've already defined what the elder is. That's in, in verses 1 to 4. It is the pastor. It's the one that feeds the flock. It's the one that's taking oversight over a part of God's flock. Now, it's interesting that it seems as if Peter is calling out young people here. You see that? He says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Now, I've read some commentary on this, and um, one man mentioned, and I, I think he makes a good point, he mentioned that you know, young people are more likely to be very strong-willed. Right? They, they still have a lot of fire in them. All right? they, they, they are more likely to want to... I want to say almost overthrow things or question things, but, but in a more aggressive way, you know, things like that. I think that makes sense, all right? So, that, yeah, young people, that's something to watch out for. Of course, not every young person is like that, right? So, it, it's not a blanket statement, but generally, that, that is what you find. Um, I remember when I was still young, just a few years ago at least, <laughs> it's not that long ago. <laughs> But, but, <laughs> but I remember that thing in me, right? It, it's something you need to put down. Um, so I think that's a good point. Um, but I don't think that's exactly what, what Peter is getting at here. I, I'm not sure I agree with that um, wholeheartedly. I think he's not referring to the age of people because he already called the pastor the elder, right? So we've got this relationship between the elder and the younger, Right, he's just making a distinction between the pastor and the rest of the congregation. That's, that's what I think is going on here. Um, you may, you're welcome to argue that with me afterwards. <laughs> All right. But I think that's the, that's the distinction. You have the elder and the younger. You have the pastor and the rest of the congregation. Now that would make sense because we find in the rest of the New Testament that the entire church is commanded to submit themselves to the pastor. Um, turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Wow, it's difficult to page when it's so cold, right? <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 5, and we'll read verse 12. So look what Paul says here. He says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. So we are called to respect these men. In our case, it's one man, right? Every church is different. But we are called to respect the, these men. So Why? Do we respect them because of their personalities? Do we respect them because they, you know, they have this charismatic um, way about them? Um, do we respect them because they're bringing money into the church? <laughs> it's none of that, all right? And th that's not what Paul calls out here. We respect them because these are the men 
that are taking the oversight of the part of the flock of God that God has assigned to them, and we are that flock, all right? That's what, what, why we respect them, and we respect them because they admonish us or instruct us in the truth of God's Word, because of the labor that they're doing, as, as Paul says here in verse 12, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, all right? He says to esteem them very highly for their work's sake. It takes a lot of work to be a pastor. All right? we, I, don't even, I don't think we're even seeing just a little bit of it. But it's a, it's a ton of work if you're doing it right. It's a ton of work. It's a ton of effort. It's a ton of tears. It's a ton of you know, laughter. It's, it, it's just a bunch of things. We need to respect these men. All right? Because they're doing a work for us. <laughs> yes, for God, but, but it, it, it comes down to us. Right? In a different context, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, Timothy said, Let the elders that rule well, see these that rule well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So don't, don't just honor them. Count them worthy of double honor. Right? Over-honor them, right? if that's even a word. All right? Now, of course, the pastor should be honorable all right, for us to honor him. Now, how do we know if the pastor is honorable? Well, we, we've already studied that in 1 Peter 5, verse 1 to 4. Uh, that tells us how pastors should behave, what their attitude should be in the ministry. And so if you have a pastor like that, you honor that man. You do what you can to honor that man, esteem him highly. And part of that is to submit yourself to that elder or to that pastor. We should submit ourselves. Uh, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13 for a moment. Hebrews 13. And let's get verse 17 there. Look what the writer says here. He says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy, and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. There's a lot to say about this, right? But but first thing we're seeing here is, is that this writer of Hebrews agrees with Peter in First Peter chapter five. He says to submit yourselves. You should submit yourself. Nobody is going to force you to submit. That's just not going to happen. Perhaps in some other churches they would, or in some other religions they would force you to submit but not in a biblical New Testament church. You won't find that. Instead, the call is to submit yourself. That takes some self-discipline. But folks, it's up to you to do that. Nobody's going to do it for you. Um, God calls you to submit yourself. Now, some people may say, well, I find that difficult to do because of X, Y, Z. Okay, fine. I get that. Then you should repent. <laughs> All right. That's it. Because the call on you is to submit. Whether you find it difficult or not. That's, that's the time to pray and to ask the Lord to change your heart. To help you all right, to submit. To help you to have a humble heart. Because as we'll see in a moment, humility and submission goes hand in hand. You can't have the one without the other. They always go together. If your pastor is a biblical pastor, like what we've looked at, um, then confess your sin. To the Lord. Say, Lord, 
I'm not, I'm not submissive. All right, I struggle with that. Please help me. And then you, you, you um, put some feet to those prayers, right? And you start to be submissive. That, that's how repentance works, all right? Um, as long as you are taken up with pride, you won't be able to submit. As long as you have a proud heart. So maybe that's some of the fruit that you can recognize in your own life. Is that, Lord, I'm not submitting. Where's the pride that's hiding in my life in, in, or in my heart? Right? And you start to weed that thing out. You, take, you start to remove that. Um, if you have pride in your heart, you won't even be able to submit. Never mind struggle to submit. Um, you, you won't be able to. The next thing that I, that I want you to see here from this verse in Hebrews chapter 13 is that a flock that doesn't submit to their shepherd makes his ministry difficult. <laughs> it causes grief to him. All right? Now, a good shepherd will continue with his work even, even though he is grieved by the people that he's ministering to because he's not called to make people happy. He's called to do his work, to feed the flock. Right? It's the flock's responsibility to accept that feed and to, and to take it in like we discussed last time. And if he's grieved, the, note, uh, the writer notes here, then his ministry will be unprofitable, not for himself, but for you, <laughs> for us. It'll be unprofitable. And I think that makes sense. I think it's quite straightforward that if the church does not submit to the work of the pastor, then it would be unprofitable to us because you're not submitting to whatever he's advising you to do or to, or to implement or to change in your life. So, of course, it'll be unprofitable. Then it's the same as saying you're sitting here and you're just wasting your time. Why don't you just go home, right? Because you're not, you're not willing to submit. It's going to be unprofitable for you because you're rejecting this very important feature for your own sanctification. We looked at this last time, and I, I know I'm referring to that last lesson a lot, but I just want to bring it to the forefront of your memory is that pastors are a gift that's been given to us by the Lord. It's the gift to the church. And, and he's doing that. Everything that the Lord gives us, or many things that he gives us, is for our own sanctification. And so he's given us these men that should you know, uh, qualify and, and have the right attitude and all of that to feed us so that we can take that in and so that we can be more sanctified and turned into the image of Christ. We can go back to First Peter chapter 5. And Peter continues with this idea of submitting yourself to the elder. But he takes it a little bit further. <laughs> there in the middle of the verse, Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Being subject to one another means to, uh, once again, submit to each other and to serve each other, right? That's, that's, that's where it should be. When it comes to submitting, <laughs> as you can see here, we should not only submit to the pastor, we're here to submit to each other as well. Um, now, that's not a new idea that Peter is bringing in here. You know, we read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, where Paul writes, submitting yourselves, you see that again, you're submitting yourself, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, Peter tags on here and be clothed with humility. Because as, as I've said before, these two go hand in hand. They're inseparable. They're brothers. You know, they're, they're like Siamese twins, I guess. <laughs> All right. I think that's pretty clear now. <laughs> 
All right? You can't separate these two. You can't... Uh, or somebody that is clothed with humility is obviously not puffed up with pride. All right? That'll be the opposite of what it is to be clothed with humility. They don't think more of themselves than they ought to, than what is actually true. Right? That, that is what it is to be clothed with humility. And I think it goes contrary to whatever the world is telling us. Right? In the philosophy of the world, pride is not only praiseworthy, but it is a necessity if you want to make progress as far as the world is concerned and become, quote-unquote, successful. All right? um, and then in the eyes of the world, when, once you've made it, Right, and you've got your millions or your billions in the bank, then you are totally entitled to be the proudest person, to have the proudest heart. That, that's fine, all right? because you've earned it. You've made it. Right? That's the philosophy of the world. Fuck, that does not belong with a Christian at all. Even though you have millions or billions in the bank or whatever else, you know, whatever the world may see as success, that does not belong with Christians. Every Christian should be or should have a submissive and a humble heart. Paul said in Philippians 2 verse 3, in lowliness of mind, that's humility, lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You see, it's turning around, it's turning the world system around. The world, or, or even just our own sinful flesh, will have us believe that there is some sort of hierarchy Right? You have the rich and famous and successful people at the top, and then everybody falters down from there until the, the poorest beggar that you can find. All right? And so if, you, if I'm higher than you on the ladder, well, then I'm entitled to look down on you. That's fine. Okay? It's not a problem. All right? that, that, that's what the world thinks about this. That's not how God sees it. In God's eyes, every believer is an equal standing before him. And notice I'm saying standing, not state, right? Because the standing is, if you are in Christ, well, you're in Christ. You're God's child. All right? So as far as that is concerned, everybody is in equal or equal uh, with that. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter um, if you are the beggar on the street, you know, the, the, the one that has nothing and, and, and everybody's looking down on you. Well, if you're God's child, you're God's child. All right? And another child of God should not look down on you because of the state that you are in. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how high-paying your job is or how many companies you run or how much money you have in the bank, how many investments, whatever it is, despite what the world may tell you and despite how some churches may act. Some churches will, will take more care um, about the rich man than they would about the poor man. And the Bible talks about that in the book of James, right? We, we're not supposed to do that. Um, so it, it doesn't matter how people treat you. God's eyes, we're all the same once we are in Christ. We're on the same standing. God wants us to esteem others as better than ourselves. That means putting yourself under the other person, right? If you want to look at a hierarchy like that, well, then put yourself beneath or below everybody else every time. All right? That's, that's what it is. Um, he says that we should clothe ourselves with humility. Now, that's the same as what I just mentioned in Philippians chapter 2, to have lowliness of mind. You put on this attitude um, of lowliness like, like a servant would, right? 
a servant is thought of as somebody that's lowly. It was the same way in this time, maybe even more so in this time um, that Peter wrote this. But you have this attitude that you are not too good to serve anybody. That's what it is, to put your, make yourself lowly or to have lowliness of mind. Even if people in society think very highly of you, even if you are an important person out there, you're not too good to serve anybody. That is what it is to have a humble heart. You know, the world doesn't like that. <laughs> the, the world will mock you for that, for, for, for being submissive, for being humble. They will mock you. They will call you weak. They will call you a sissy, right? They will step on you because they, they only expect servants to be humble, all right? And, and if you are humbling yourself, well, they're going to see you like one of those people in their minds. And Peter says, yeah, well, then clothe yourself like a servant with humility. Now, Jesus is, of course, our prime example of this, right? You won't, you won't find a better example of humbling yourself than the Lord Jesus himself. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2 for a moment. I just want to show you this. There is no better example than this. And, and that's Paul's point here in Philippians chapter 2. And in here, Paul explains to us how Jesus humbled himself and how he clothed himself with humility by becoming a man and to ultimately do what he did for us. Philippians 2 and verse 5. Look how he starts this off. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He tells us to think like Jesus. Have the same attitude as Jesus had. Okay, so what's that attitude? Verse 6. Who being in the form of God, so being in the form of God means he had the very essence of God. He is God. All right? You can't separate the two. Jesus is God. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So he didn't think that, uh, that he should cling on to him being God. All right? that's, that's how he started to humble himself. Look at verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. <laughs> King of kings, right? He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He willingly took this form of a servant on himself. He humbled himself. That is how you do it. You take on the form of a servant. You become a servant. That's what Jesus did um, when he became a man. Look at verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. There you see that again. He humbled himself. What are we called to do? Well, humble yourself. Clothe yourself with humility. Submit yourself. Um, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus wasn't humbled by anybody else. He humbled himself. There was no man here on earth that humbled him. You may say, well, what about those, those uh, people that came and they took him by night and they, you know, they slandered him, they mocked him, they spit on him, they beat him, and they, all of these things. What about them? Didn't they humble him? No. <laughs> no. At any moment, Jesus could have just done this and they would have been wiped out. At any moment. But he put that aside 
okay? He, he didn't uh, think it robbery to be equal with God. That's what he did, is he put that aside for a moment because he was on a mission. And he was humbling himself. He first humbled himself by becoming a man. Next, he humbled himself by uh, being obedient, even unto death. He was obedient to God the Father. He was obedient to his earthly parents, right? He was obedient to the civil authorities. That, that's amazing, all right? So there you have your example of how we should be obedient, how we should humble ourselves. It was a profound act of humility for God Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, the one that holds everything together by the word of His power. Everything. The great I am. The one that saved you. It was a, an act of humility for Him to stoop down and to become a man, to be obedient even unto death. He, he made himself of no reputation, as Paul said here. None. He didn't come here and say, well, I'm the king, you should treat me well, you know, and all of that. He didn't do that. He didn't raise up an army at all. He looked just like any other man. You know, you, you wouldn't even have recognized him. He didn't have some special glow about him or a halo around his head or anything like that, all right? None of that. If you would walk past him on the street, you wouldn't even have known. It was just another guy, as far as people were concerned, right? Just another man. And he stooped down again by being obedient unto his heavenly father, like I said, his, his parents, the government, for his entire life, even unto death. Every single moment, he was obedient. And then he died, and he stooped down even further in his death. He died on a cross, folks. <laughs> That's not pretty. I know, I know people make pretty crosses and, and stuff, and it looks very nice, and that wasn't a pretty sight. The, the cross was the most horrific and humili humiliating kind of death that anybody could die. And Paul says that we should have that same attitude of humility as Christ had. That's a high bar. That's a high bar to, to reach for, but we should clothe ourselves with that humility. Why? Well, let's go back to First uh, Peter chapter 5. Why should we do this, Peter? At the end of the verse, it says, be clothed with humility for, so here's the reason, it's, it's like saying because God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. He resists the proud. Why, why would he resist the proud? Why would he be against people that are proud? Well, <laughs> the answer is simple. God hates pride. He hates it. We read in Proverbs 6, verse 16. These things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. And then in the next verse, what's the first thing on the list? A proud look. A proud look. It's pride, right? In Proverbs 8, verse 13. It says there, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Okay, now he's going to explain what the evil is. And he starts off with pride. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. God hates pride. He detests it. He can't take it. And so he hates a proud heart. So should it be really a surprise that God would resist or be, be against somebody that has a proud heart if he hates it that much? 
I don't think so. But the next part says in this verse, he, he resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So those that are humble can expect to receive grace from the hand of God. Okay? You, you know, people don't understand why they aren't experiencing the grace of God in their lives. And so they will hop from teacher to teacher and from you know, place to place and book to book to, to try and find you know, what, what's going on in my life. How do I fix this? And they don't realize that they're harboring so much pride in their own hearts that God is actually resisting them. They don't get that. God is against that because he hates that. So how do we turn that around? Well, like we said, have the same attitude as Jesus had and clothe yourself with humility. That's how you turn that around. Look at verse 6. Oh, Sorry, before we do, let me, let me, just, let me just mention this. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. You know, that, that starts even before you are saved. <laughs> you can't be saved if you don't humble yourself because you, you first need to agree with God that I'm a sinner, isn't it? You need to humble yourself. God, I'm wrong. <laughs> that takes a lot. That takes a lot to do. God, I am wrong. Please forgive me. Please save me. I need salvation. A proud heart doesn't say that. A proud heart says, no, I've done nothing wrong. Yes, I've done this or that, but this is, these are the reasons. You know, I'm justified in this. These are the people that are going to point their finger at God at the day of judgment and say, God, you were wrong. I did this for this and that reason. And they will be humbled there. Right? You first need to humble yourself to be, to be saved. Let's, let's look at verse 6. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So he's saying here, God resists the proud and he gives grace, grace to the humble. Wow, what's going on? He's giving grace to the humble. And so you need to humble yourself under his mighty hand. All right? Because of that. Not, not, not only because you don't want God to be against you and only because you want to receive grace from the, from the hand of God in your life. You do it because he is God. That is why. Okay? And if you are saved, you are His. So you do it His way. This mighty hand of God points to God's unlimited power. And folks, God can decide how to wield this power however He wants and whenever He wants. Alright? It's sometimes hard to accept, but that is something to accept, and that's part of humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. You know, we see in the Bible how God's mighty hand delivered the nation of Israel, right, from the land of Egypt, from the bondage that they had in the land of Egypt. We see how the mighty hand of God chastens his people. And we know that he does that with us as well, right? He, he chastens us. He delivers us and he chastens us as well. And many other things. And so during the persecution that these believers were experiencing, that Peter was writing to, during this time of testing, and this time of suffering, real suffering, that they were going through, he tells them to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. That means you don't rebel against him. That means you don't shake your fist at him and say, God, why are you doing this? What's going on here? I have a better way of doing this. Why don't you follow my plan, God? <laughs> you don't do that. You humble yourself. It doesn't mean that... Um, you abandon God's way of doing things, right? 
We should always do it God's way. That is humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. You humbly submit to Him, to His wise counsel, and you trust Him. You trust Him. Such an important part. You know, life gets tough, I know. And some of you know it can get real tough, like really tough. And we call out to God, and we ask Him, God, why is this happening? What's going on here? Something's not right, you know, and I don't think that's bad. I think you're allowed to do that. I, th- I think you're encouraged to do that. Ask God, what's, what's going on? Why, why is everything falling apart, Lord? What's going on here? Sometimes when people don't get the answer to their question immediately, they start to get frustrated. Now, immediately can mean like now, can mean in a week's time, it can mean in a few months' time, you know, but, but pe- we get impatient. We get, inf- we get frustrated, um, and we start to question God. We, we, we can start to question His wisdom. We can start to question His methods of doing things. And we even start to question if He even cares about us anymore. Right? Isn't it true? That's what happened to Job. <laughs> you know, Job said in Job 30 verse 20, I'll just read it to you. I cry unto thee, and thou dost not hear me. I stand up. And thou regardest me not. Thou art become cruel to me. With thy strong hand, thou opposest thyself against me. It's basically saying, Lord, I don't understand why you are ignoring me. I don't get it. It seems as if you are against me. It seems as if you don't care anymore. Now that's honest, folks. (laughs) That's an honest, honest prayer to the Lord. That is also when you need to remind yourself that you need to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and that you need to fully trust Him. And you know, trust really comes in when things get difficult, when the screws are turned tight. That's where trust comes in. That's where trust counts. And you know what what He'll do? He will lift you up out of that situation. When? I don't know. I've no idea. Look what, look what Peter says here um, at the end there. Humble yourselves, in verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you when? In due time. In due time. When is that? God, that's now. <laughs> no, no, no. Calm down. It's in due time. Why didn't Jesus come 6,000 years ago? Why did He only come 2,000 years ago? Because He came in due time. When God said the time was right, Jesus came. All right? When will God exalt you? When will He lift you up out of this situation? When the time's right. I don't know when that is. Verse 7. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Notice that's part of the same sentence, right, from verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. I just love this, you know. Did you see the entire list of the kind of cares that you can cast on God is in this verse? Did you see that? Look at at it again. It's all there. Verse 7. Casting all your care upon Him. Every single thing. You can take everything to Him. Cast all of it on Him. To cast something is to throw it. (laughs) 
like, like he would throw out a blanket or something. Cast it on him. He cares for you. He can cause all, all of your anxiety about your job or maybe about your lack of a job. You can cast it on him. Or the situation that's going on in your family right now, cast it on him. That tough decision that you need to make, you're really not sure about. Lord, I'm so worried about this. Cast that on him. You know that betrayal of that friend of yours or that family member? Cast that on him. All of it. Cast it all on him. Why? He says there, because he cares for you. He cares. He really does. You know, Hebrews 4 verse 15 tells us, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. If there is somebody that understands what you are going through right now, it's him. He knows it. He knows what it is. He knows what it's like. He understands and he definitely cares. He cares for his children. Right? So folks, we need to keep a humble heart. That's the point here. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and then cast your cares on him. Right? Have that humble heart. Then you are free to do that. He won't resist you. He won't push you away if you humble your heart. You get that? That's amazing, isn't it? I think that's really amazing. You know, that We're talking about the glorious, infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing God that cares for you, for me, <laughs> uh, on, on an individual level. You know, it's not a group you. It's like the individual he cares for you. He's always faithful, folks. And you can always trust on His love for you. Always. Let's pray. Lord, what, what a great thought to think that you care for us that much. And that wherever we go, you are there with us. You, you hold our hand everywhere, Lord. And Lord, please help us. To have a humble heart. Show us that pride that's, that's lurking in our hearts, Lord, so that we can weed every single bit of it out. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit, to, to live lives worthy of the sacrifice that you've made for us. Help us to humble ourselves, Lord, and help us to, when things get difficult, to trust you. Not to look to the world for solutions, Lord. But first go to you and, and, and hear what you need us to do or how we should go about whatever it is, Lord. Lord, we thank you so much that we can trust you. We thank you so much for your love towards us. Please be with us the rest of this day and keep on working in us. Amen.